The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good evening. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Park. Let's pray. Lord, what a weighty night. It is so hard for us, Lord, to feel tension. I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight to feel the cost of our redemption. Would you help us to feel the the, the level of our depravity and the cost of what what it was that purchased us? Pray, Lord, you'd also help us to feel tonight the glory of our redemption. There's glory here. Lord, help us to feel both of these things, which to me seem at odds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past Sunday, Gary gracefully preached through a tension that we see in the book of Exodus. That tension is that God says, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and then he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh also hardens his heart, and he is culpable for the hardening of his own heart against God and God's people. The unfolding of Jesus's arrest, trial, crucifixion, and death present us with another tension that God and his word seem to hold with ease, yet for us, very difficult, very hard to wrap our minds and our hearts and our belief around. Who killed Jesus Christ and why? I pray that God would speak to us tonight through his word, illuminated by the Holy Spirit to show us the significance of what took place in these events. I pray that the, Lord, that the Lord would, as it were, walk us on a journey. A journey that starts with remembering the events that took place. A journey that continues with reflection, has a tremendous soberness right in the middle. But ultimately a journey that takes us to a place where condemnation has absolutely no claim on us. So let us take a look at the parties involved at walking Jesus to the cross. Just before where we began our readings tonight in Matthew 26, 14 through 16, we see Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, one of Jesus' own, looking for an opportunity to betray the Lord, and he finds it for 30 pieces of selfish gain. We see even before that account in Matthew 26, the Jewish religious leaders are plotting together to order, in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. This is how Judas's opportunity to benefit from betraying Jesus actually comes about as they offer him money in order to betray him and deliver him over in silence or in secret. 
Those same religious leaders re-enter the scene at the close of chapter 26, wherein they put Jesus through a complete mockery of a trial, complete with false testimony, false accusations, and physical violence toward him. But since the Jewish leaders have, at this time, no authority to put Jesus to death, they deliver him over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, hoping that they can convince Pilate to put Jesus to death. Pilate, having spoken with Jesus and having received a word from his wife to have nothing to do with that righteous man, finds no fault in Jesus that would warrant crucifixion. But he fears a riot. He fears a riot breaking out. And so he acquiesces to their demands. And in Matthew 27, 26, he released them. He released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Interspersed with the narrative that includes Christ before Pilate, we see another party that is responsible for Jesus' death. It's the crowd. The crowd, having been persuaded by the religious leaders, is now shouting for a man whom they know to be guilty to be released and for the Lord to be sacrificed. In a gut-wrenching acceptance of responsibility, all of the people declare, His blood be on us and on our children. At this point, we ask, is that all of the parties involved? The first stanza of the African-American spiritual, Were You There?, asks, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. 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 This hymn was often sung by slaves who, under the oppression of slavery, could identify with Jesus in his own suffering and his own oppression against him. For the past 200 or so years, the hymn has provided comfort for those who find themselves under the thumb of oppression. But I think this hymn has something additional to offer us tonight. Because there is something haunting in the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Something that would make us tremble. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 1.3-4 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2, 24. What causes me to tremble? What should cause you to tremble? It's this. The answer 
to were you there when they crucified my Lord is a resounding yes. While I did not deliver Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver, while I did not put together a kangaroo court, while I was not the Roman governor who had the authority to let Jesus walk and didn't, and while I was not in the physical crowd wildly yelling, crucify him, crucify him, The reality is, my sin, your sin, our rebellion against the true God of the world swung that cat of nine tails and drove in those nails with just as much purpose. And if it were merely a human plot to put Jesus to death, then Good Friday would be the most out-of-place title for what this day asks us to remember. There would be nothing good in it. Humanity killed the Son of God. If this were the only thing happening in Jerusalem that day, it would be a truly devastating and only devastating day. But, as the great lion says, there is a magic, a deeper magic, that the witch does not know about. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is arrested and Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus asks Peter, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He repeats just a couple of verses later, seemingly to ingrain in the heads and in the hearts of his followers, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. All of this, including what is about to happen is going to take place so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. One such scripture of the prophets was this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Isaiah 53.10 proclaims that when the suffering servant has borne our griefs, when he has carried our sorrows, when he has been pierced for our transgressions, when he has been crushed for our iniquities, when he has taken upon himself the chastisement and the stripes that we deserve, and when he has been cut off from the land of the living, it will be the will of God to do this to his servant, to his son. Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion are not merely a human plot with a devastating ending. They are 
the sovereignly orchestrated plan of God to bring about forever salvation for his people who could not do it ourselves. These events are, as Isaiah 53.10 proclaims, God's plan to make the ultimate and complete offering for guilt, sin, transgression, and iniquity. They are, as Isaiah 53.11 states, God's righteous one, my servant, making many to be accounted righteous. In his gospel account, the apostle John writes that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The events of Good Friday do put on display for us the depths of our depravity. And they do put on display the cost of our redemption. But I plead with you, I beg you, do not miss this. They also show you with what kind of love God loves us. They shout to all who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what unbelievable lengths God is willing to go to show his steadfast covenantal love for his people. This is without compare the most amazing display of love ever. God, in the form of the Son, on the cross, declaring, I, I will take the punishment upon myself for this covenant not being upheld. And after this, after this, it's finished. One of, if not the most amazing proclamation ever. It is finished. Finished. Hear those words tonight. I pray, I pray, I pray that they would sink into your head, that they would sink into your heart. Your guilt, born on the cross. It is finished. Jesus set his face to the cross and he endured it with the full knowledge of the sin that you committed yesterday, the sin you committed today, and the sin that you will commit tomorrow. It is finished. Finished. You need not hide. And you need not run. You need not stand off at a distance as if you couldn't draw near to the Savior. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. You need only believe. It is finished. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazingly humble reminder of what our sin cost, of what our redemption cost, what our sin wrought, what it brought about, and the cost to redeem our relationship with you. 
Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. That you are willing to endure that, that you set your face there, and that you bore it on our behalf. The cost of our redemption is sweet, and yet redemption is, or the cost of redemption is costly. Redemption is sweet. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for what you did at the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.